Hey everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology, and today we are going to take a look at the Sun's upcoming opposition to Neptune. Now, the Sun is in the sign of Virgo, and it's making an opposition to Neptune in the sign of Pisces. Now, this is happening as we go into the weekend, uh, but it's something that you have probably been feeling all week and may notice as the weekend continues. So the transit actually perfects on Friday the 16th, uh, but again, maybe you're feeling this already this week. And you should be feeling it into the weekend, at least three days, say by Sunday, Monday, starting to fade a little bit. But um, you certainly should be able to feel this one. So we're going to spend some time talking about that transit today. But before we do so, don't forget to like and subscribe. Share a comment or two in the comment section. It helps the channel to grow when you share a few thoughts and give it the big thumbs up. Appreciate that. You can always find a transcript of my daily talks on my website, nightlightastrology.com. I also want to take you over to that website right now. Uh, nightlightastrology.com to show you my new course. So every six months, we have a new cohort that begins of the first year program, Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystic. It's a one-year program in ancient astrology. You can learn more about the program by visiting the course page on the website. You can learn, there's a video there. You can check out what some of the alumni have said. The course contains 30 live webinars that I lead over the course of a full year, plus 12 guest lectures. Um, we also have group forum discussions staffed by tutors that are there to answer all of your questions. They always answer within a day. We have, you can email me anytime. Uh, we also have a tutoring staff that leads breakout study sessions for people who need a little extra help in between our major units of study. So it's chock full of really great information. Uh, it's helpful for people who are looking to deepen their relationship with astrology, maybe start a practice of your own, or at the very least, just deepen your understanding so that you can more uh, artfully read your own chart over the years. It's really, really helpful to be able to have an eye on your own birth chart or those that you love, your family members and friends and things like that. You will have a million friends once people know that uh, you read birth charts too. So it's a it's a great program. I'm really proud of it. It is. I've poured a lot of heart and soul into it. You can check out the early bird payment and save $500 off before the start of class. So take advantage of that. There's a monthly payment plan if you need it. And then be sure to check out need-based tuition. Um, we would love to have you come and take the program, uh, but if you can't afford it for some reason, you really want to take it, check out the need-based tuition option, see if that'll work for you. Uh, we do have a limited amount of those available, so we ask people to you know, check that out early and uh, register right away, um, and that way we also, one of the reasons we're doing this is also to make sure that we don't overload my staff one week before the start of class, they get an influx of like a hundred applications and it's a huge mess to do in one week right prior to the start of class. We're also just trying to get the enrollment process started early for people who might be taking advantage of need-based tuition. So please do check that out. If it would help you at all, we try to make sure that no one's ever priced out of studying astrology. Uh, so all of that being said, let's take a look at the real-time clock so that we can get a good understanding of this transit. You're going to see that this is, here we can see the sun in Virgo. This is Friday, September 16th. There's Neptune, and the two are opposing one another. So we're going to see the sun moving through this opposition throughout the day on Friday. And if we move it forward one day, you'll notice that by Saturday morning, it's passing, starting to uh, pass by. Now, it's interesting that at the same time, uh, basically over the weekend, we're getting a last quarter moon. 
So it's interesting because Sun Neptune have some things in common with the last quarter moon, the potential to be letting go of things or to be at the uh, an important turning point that's moving us toward the conclusion or the 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 moving into the third and final act, you could say, of a segment of our lives or of uh, an area of our life where something's been developing for a while. So that's usually what last quarter moons do. And then on top of that, we've got this interesting sun uh, Neptune opposition. So I'm going to want to look at three themes today and three lessons that go along with those themes. And I think these will be helpful for um, for us to consider as we go into the weekend, especially. So the three themes, sun opposite Neptune. Let's start with what I, I'm just calling the great mirage. Now, um, one of the reasons for this is that the one of the things that Neptune does, broadly speaking, is whatever Neptune is contacted, was contacting, whether it's Jupiter or Mercury or Venus or whatever planet it's contacting, it tends to cast a light upon that archetype, covering it in the um, in in the robes of divinity. Like if it's Venus, then you know the person that you're falling in love with is God, you know, or the person that you're falling in love with somehow takes you to you know the, this this very refined place of ecstasy and an imaginative uh, reverie. There's Neptune's very beautiful in this respect that that it's so imaginative and um, it has such an ability to capture the 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 romantic energy that lives within each soul. The soul is by nature very romantic. Um, this is something that I that James Hillman pointed out a lot that the the soul is a romantic being. It, it loves it likes to fall in love with just about anything. And that's kind of what defines uh, romance as a as like a genre uh, or a mood. The problem is that depending on what it's contacting and um, and and how it's contacting that planet. For example, an opposition is uh, an aspect that is of the nature of Saturn. It tends to present hard dualities, and so depending on what Neptune is actually contacting it can create within us um, a, a sense of uh, a tremendous romantic ideal, uh, like something that's, you know, close to divinity itself, Eden, you know, perfection, uh, uh, the, you know, ecstasy, bliss. And it, but when it's in an opposition with the planet, it will present those qualities sometimes in a stark contrast to the qualities of the other planet. It could be, for example, that with Venus, when Neptune opposes Venus, the ideal of Neptune is somehow pitted against the quote-unquote reality of Venus. And I, I say reality in quotes because it's not that Venus is practical and Neptune is romantic. It's that when the two meet in an opposition, it's as though whatever, wherever we find Venus, she might be caught in the feeling of longing and desperation for some ideal that feels unreachable, a polar opposite from wherever Venus feels like she stands currently in our lives. And the opposition from Neptune can present Venus with this feeling of an impossible love or uh, a, a sense of divine failure or weakness relative to romance or sex or beauty. 
So sometimes the opposition in particular has this kind of Saturnine duality behind it where um, when it opposes a planet, especially again, it's it, it can present like a hard option between something Edenic and sort of perfect or ideal and then something that, you know, that maybe pales in comparison. So when it's with the sun, if you think about the sun as our heroic sense of ambition um, and purpose, this is how ancient astrologers talked about the sun in, in part, uh, as a planet that points us toward our ambitions and the ideals in terms of our, our life journey. If our life is a plot line, then the sun is telling us what motivates and drives the character to act and move the plot line forward. Well, when that sun is presented with an opposition to Neptune, it's as though the path becomes unclear. I, I, what I'm doing in the path I'm on feels obscured or confused, or it, it like I, I, I'm searching for a higher uh, Edenic or you know, blissful and romantic sense of of calling or purpose, but I'm lost and confused. And so the great mirage can be two, you can look at it two different ways. The great mirage of a Sun-Neptune opposition can be that sense that what I have been following, the dream or ambition that I've been pursuing, and this doesn't have to be my whole life, it could be just for the past couple of weeks or for the past couple of months, the thing that I've had my eyes set on, I've suddenly lost. I've lost the pole star. I don't know where it is. I've lost the transcendent sense of purpose and meaning, and I need to recover it, but I don't know where to look. And maybe there's another kind of calling or another image that stirs up my heart and soul, but I, I don't know where it is. So the great mirage can be the feeling that, what have I been doing? Where have I been going? And it can be overwhelming. Usually for the transit like this, it doesn't last very long. It's not like Neptune transiting the sun in your birth chart, which can last like a couple of years. But it is it is maybe a very acute sense of longing and desperation and a feeling of confusion. What have I been doing? You know, what is what is it all meant? A disillusionment, a great mirage. On the other hand, we can be presented suddenly with an impossible ideal. Ah, oh, what I'm doing is pointless. Look at this. This great quest, this great heroic sense of purpose. And that can fill us with a sense of um, ambition, but it may be an, a kind of impossible longing. Um, you know, I think a little bit of, of Don Quixote with the sun opposite Neptune. Um, you know, not to say that Neptune in many other aspects and relationships is, we should always just think of Neptune as fantasy or illusion. I, I don't agree with that at all. But in an opposition in particular with the sun, I think that the contrast between heroic grandiosity and uh, a, a simple, humble, but true north, uh, there's, there's a fine line between those two things. Sometimes it's like, I need to find my true north, and that's a sun opposite Neptune crisis. Uh, but also, you know, the the romantic illusion of greatness, you know, that, that's uh, perhaps just as, uh, just as much a possibility. Number two, the great hope. Very similar. This can sneak in. The great mirage might be, again, like the, 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 the grand, grandiose calling. It can also be the sense of where have I been or where am I going? But then the, the great hope is slightly different. The great hope would be less about something I'm doing and more about an ideal. The sun was called the noetic light. 
a planet related to gnosis, to, to that higher sense of knowing. This is not knowing as in uh, I know stuff in books. Uh, this is knowing as in the illumination from within, real understanding. And so as that gnosis is filling in our lives, um, we have a, a, a sense of, of, uh, of understanding. And so the great hope, you could also put it like the, the great knowing or something like that. It's like an idealism that comes in around a subject or a topic, or um, it could be political or religious or ideological in some way, something that we are compelled by because we believe it represents higher truth. And, and then it calls us like a missionary to go and proselytize or evangelize or emit or uh, radiate that truth to other people. So I will be the great bringer of light. I will be the great messenger, the great bearer of truth. Um, the sun opposite Neptune is, you know, sometimes related to the the, the challenge to pick up our cross and follow the, you know, the Christ, or it's the, the, it's the, it's the challenge of taking up our, you know, our, our spiritual path and leaving the world behind there. So these kinds of archetypes can, can play out on bigger or lesser scales. The great hope is the great idea, the great knowing, the great knowledge, the great teacher, the great wisdom, and the, the sense that it will lead us towards salvation. These are the, archetypal tensions that are built into the sun opposite uh, Neptune, especially when these knowings or truths lead us to, to a feeling that there is something higher and that sacrifice or decision or splitting between world and heaven or material and matter and spirit are somehow a part of the process. Um, so I call it the great hope, but it's kind of a religious sentiment that can come in and it can be impossible, idealistic, and eventually damning or even condemning of the world or of the body. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's something to be careful of as much as it can galvanize our faith or our sense of belief. Number three would be the great weakness. Now, the great weakness is similar um, to the great mirage and the great hope. It's implicit in it. It's the feeling that something that we have thought of as heroic and strong and noble and proud and regal and kingly and authoritative and powerful, the sun is now dissolving. For example, sometimes the sun opposite Neptune shows up when solar figures, fathers, leaders, often men or CEOs or anyone who has this kind of regal position is ready to pass or fade away or die, a king or a queen um, or uh, something like that. Um, or, you know, um, there aren't, there, there really are not many kings and queens around these days. So more, more practically speaking, it's like, you know, oftentimes it's your father with the Neptune opposite son or a grandfather, some image of the, the lion, the strong, patriarch or and i don't mean that in the in the everything is corrupt with the world pat patriarch <laughs> there's that thing too but <laughs> right now i'm talking more specifically about just a strong father figure you know um and and the and like side by side with the matriarch so to speak so you know the great weakness is the dissolving of some great solar image or heroic person or um uh, you know, any anyone that represents a solar figure and that dissolving of their um, their stature. And this it can also be the dissolving of our own ego, 
the dissolve something we've taken pride in that suddenly is dissolving a feeling that we're helpless or that we're not as strong as we thought we were this can be very humbling of course it could also be exactly the kind of experience that facilitates um, ego death and mystical union um, so but the great weakness would be that the facing of our mortality the dissolving of our control the dissolving of the body and entropy and death uh, impermanence as a truth that we have to grapple with so the great weakness is another quintessential sun opposite neptune theme now there's three lessons that go along with this that in my opinion can only help us and there's some caveats for these because I don't want to make them sound um, anti-Neptunian. Uh, my friend, my dear friend, Sean Nygaard, who's like the world's best advocate for Neptune, would be so upset with me <laughs> if I made it sound like Neptune is a problem. Here's how to watch out for the Neptunian delusions. Now, to me, living a life without Neptune would mean living a life without romance. And as someone who is a student of bhakti yoga, that's uh, not possible, right? I, I consider myself a, a romantic and, uh, um, you know, I have a strong Neptune placement in my own chart opposite Mars. Um, so I love romantic crusades, you know, um, but don't get trapped by the romance. What this means to me is that Sometimes with Neptune, there are certain images that um, we can get stuck in. For example, um, I'm just going to, I'll tell a story from my youth. My um, parents used to have a circle of people that played music together. It was like a lot of like Martin guitars and, you know, bearded people singing Crosby, Stills, Nash music on my porch as a kid. Like uh, my, my, my dad played guitar and there was always a group of um, people who had great love for the music of the 1960s, especially folk rock, Neil Young, um, you know, this kind of thing, right? So, and I would sit and listen to them and I was learning to play guitar and sometimes I'd even get to join in. It's pretty exciting. And as I would listen to them talk and sometimes, you know, like drinking a glass of wine or something, and I would hear them become more and more nostalgic for the 1960s, as though everything that meant anything happened in the late 60s and early 70s when most of them were, you know, kind of coming of age and in college and stuff like that. And it was, it, to me, I grew up thinking everything good happened back then. You know, everything good must have happened during the late 60s and early 70s. But then it was interesting because as, you know, as I got older and I watched some, I, I sometimes watched that same group of people in different places and settings aging and still holding on to that. There was something in me that felt like, you, you know, you're, you're getting stuck in, uh, a moment in time and you've lost the spirit of that time. Like the spirit of the time can stay alive in you in any time. And it doesn't have to be so literally connected to the clothing or the music or the memories or the nostalgia of just that moment in time. So living with the spirit of a time is very different than being captured by the romantic nostalgia of a period of time. Similarly with music. Oh, I love this musician. No one's ever made music like Led Zeppelin. No one's ever you know, th this music is the best or something like that. And 
you know, what I've learned about Neptune is that it's, it's really important to differentiate between the particulars, which are beautiful and they should go on your shelf with your record collection and your, maybe your posters in your room or the kind of art you have on your walls or maybe the kind of clothing you wear. But the point is to find that same spirit constantly new as well that you, because as soon as you try to get it stuck in just one thing or one type of music or person or clothing or era or whatever, it actually becomes kind of Saturnine. The sun opposite Neptune can be just like that because the opposition is of the nature of Saturn, according to the ancient astrologers. And so the, you don't want to get trapped by a romantic image. The spirit of romance is ever free and moving and it fills all different kinds of images, but it has to keep moving like a river. Uh, it, it, Neptune is fluid. It needs to keep moving and expressing itself. It's fertile like water. It needs to breed new things, new experiences, new albums, you know, and, and new music and so forth. So, and I had that perception as a kid and it was like, it kept me from wanting to be too much like them because I realized, well, like I can't, I'm not of that time and era and that the spirit of that I get, but there's something about the literalness of it that feels like a club I can't ever enter. And the thing about the sun opposite Neptune is that it can also be that the, the same kind of energy that, that is there in Eden, you know, is, is somehow present in the fall, you know, and the, 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 that Eden eventually dissolves. It's archetypal that we fall from that place that, you know, what, what was Joni Mitchell singing? You know, I've, got to get myself back to the garden. That's it. That's the archetype. But the same truth lives on in every generation and new music and new things. And if, if you get what I'm saying, so be careful not to get trapped by the specifics of the romantic spirit instead of, and then setting up dichotomies. This is romantic. This is fantasy. This is imagination. This is beautiful. This is good. This is true. This is, this is the really ex, ecstatic thing. And that's the plain boring stuff you know the 60s was where it's at it's you know be be careful of getting trapped by the romance uh neptune um implicated in many periods of genocide there is a a, a, a um an ironic level of intolerance in the planet neptune that a lot of neptunian types don't always recognize number two is follow the breadcrumbs so the um, the breadcrumbs would be like this. And you have an image in your mind of something you want or that you hope for. And I was talking, we had some friends over the other night and we were sitting around the bonfire and we were talking about this because we're all, you know, we're all dreamers. And you have an image of how you want something to go or what is possible. And then you try to move toward it and you try to make that dream a reality. And often... So, you know, sometimes it is, but then, you know, often it isn't. And then you deal with great disappointment and sometimes a feeling of failure or weakness. So you have a great hope and then a great disappointment and these kinds of things. And one of the things that we were talking about as we were sitting around is the importance of when you have a romantic idea, that that romantic image that you have in your mind and the feeling that this is it, this is what we're going to do, might actually be like, the, you know, Braxton Hicks before labor. It's that the images are evidence that you're going into creative labor, that you're moving toward 
some imaginal image that's captured you, you know, some, some romantic intoxication has you and you, it's going to take you on a creative journey. That's going to really be profound. But often it's those initial images or ideas that we have in our head that we, we think that's the thing, but it's actually just the first evidence of contractions. And what we need to do is follow the breadcrumbs watch for the signs and omens, be patient and know that this early image might just be the first evidence that I'm going into labor with something, but I don't know what it's going to be. And I'm here to midwife it rather than to try to control it and steer it toward a preconceived image in my head. Rather, the preconceived image in my head is just the bubbling to the top of something that's starting to happen. And then we don't get attached to the images and then we avoid the um, you know, we, we avoid kind of like, uh, hmm, what do I want to call it? I'm trying to think of something like an analogous birth image, almost like, a, an early labor or something like that, or, or a miscarriage of the, of the process. Uh, it, but th we have to be patient in letting, you know, these things gestate and come about of their own intelligence. And number three, get to know your weakness when you feel that there's a great hope and a desire and a dream and, you know, by contrast, something that you're living with that feels just inept or really disappointing, or when you, something is revealed to be weak, a father is dying or something that was an image of strength or beauty or certainty or authority is fading and, it, and it, you're, you're discovering that it's, it's weaker than you thought it was. How often do we sit down when we're feeling weak or pathetic or sad or tired or insecure and just sit and without judgment, listen very deeply and ask simple questions. Why are you here? What do you feel? Where is this coming from? Oh, okay. That's interesting. How long have you felt this way? Do you always feel this way? Is this really true? Are you exaggerating at all? No. Okay. You know, it's, it, it, if we spend a little bit of time with, getting to know our weakness. I find that oftentimes there's this real false dichotomy that comes in with any kind of opposition, but with Sun-Neptune oppositions, it's like, what, you know, so, suddenly something has failed or fallen short. You know, something has fallen short of an ideal or a hope or a, a dream or a, you know, some, we thought something would go a certain way. And then we have to sit with the failure. But how often do we sit with it and receive it like it's a gift. Like literally imagining that an angel has walked into your house with a very peculiar package and it said, these feelings, these experiences, these insights, these images, these emotions, they're a gift, but you can only experience it as a gift if you sit down and very carefully unwrap the package. And after you do so, then you get the, this amazing process of discovery. If you go into those feelings and spaces, you'll find out that they're filled with wisdom. They're filled with insight. They're filled with mystery and delight. So that's something we don't always have patience for when we feel something is weak or that it's failed the heroic standard, that we don't, we don't take time with the weakness. We just say, oh, well, I'll get back up and do better next time. And it's okay. And, you know, we try to pump ourselves up with encouragement, which sometimes is dismissal, ignorance, neglect. Spend time with our weakness. That's a good way of dealing with this transit. So that's what I've got for today. I hope that this was useful. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe, share a few comments. If you are experiencing this transit, 
I would love for you to share your story. Use the hashtag grabbed in the comments section. Tell me how the planets, especially the sun opposite Neptune, is showing up for you over the weekend. Drop me a story so I can feature it in an upcoming grabbed series uh, episode. And uh, don't forget, new classes are starting on November 12th. Uh, you can sign up for the one-year course, Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystic, at nightlightastrology.com. Check out the need-based tuition option if you want to take one of my courses but you can't afford it. And I hope to see some of you guys in that class soon. All right. Hope you guys are having a great day. Talk to you again tomorrow.